God, thank you so much that you are a holy God. You are the God over all things. You are perfectly majestic and and sovereign over everything. There's nothing out of your control. But God, you're also holy that you're pure and sinless and you have nothing to do with evil. And we're so thankful that we can trust in you and have confidence in you. And we're thankful that you've given us your word so that we can learn from it. I pray that you'll bless our time tonight and tomorrow that we would learn from your word well so that we can live in a way that pleases you. Proud in your name. Amen. Alright, so by show of hands, how many of you have ever had a really bad day? Okay, at least a couple of you. Like like a really bad, like the, the Alexander horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. Like that kind of... Alright, so when you have a bad day, you get a lot of thoughts going through your head, right? Oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening. Why does it have to happen today? Sometimes you look at the clock and you're like, this terrible, bad, horrible day has been going on for an hour since I checked the clock four seconds ago, right? So like time just stops. And sometimes you have the thought of how long does this have to last? And sometimes it's not a bad day. Sometimes it's a bad week and a bad month and a bad year and a bad really long time. Sometimes we have really bad times and we think how long does this have to go on or we have the thought why does this even have to happen and sometimes if we're not careful we can even question God and we can think God is the cause of our problems rather we should learn to ask God those questions and ask him and wait for the answers so when we think how long is this going to go on or why does this have to happen well we're kind of being like Habakkuk okay So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. Because Habakkuk, he had a really bad time, and he asked questions. He he was a guy with a lot of questions. So you guys go to Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to go through the whole chapter 1 tonight. We're going to be flying here eventually. Somebody tell me what our theme is for the weekend. Does anybody notice? God versus evil. Now obviously that's a playoff of good versus evil. But I'm not worried about good because, well, there's no one good but God. I'm worried about God versus evil. But normally when we think of good versus evil, we're like, oh no, is Iron Man going to win? And it's like, well, there's two more Iron Man movies, so yeah, he's going to win. Okay? Uh, but we think, oh, this, this might work out for good or it might work out for evil and we're not sure who's going to be in charge. But the reality is when we're talking God versus evil, we're not questioning who's winning. Okay? So don't hear me say at all, well, God versus evil, this is kind of a tough race. It's not. God wins. Okay? So you want to learn one thing this whole weekend? Here it is. God wins. Okay? God versus evil, it's not even a fight. God wins. But the question is, not does God win, because we know he does, but how is God going to win? What's the process, and what should we think about evil, and why, if we know God is going to win, why does it look like there's evil out in the world? It doesn't look like God's winning right now. Uh, Like right now, I'm pulling up Twitter, and there's people dying in Ukraine because fighter jets are getting blown up over apartment buildings. It doesn't look like evil is lost. It looks like evil is triumphing. So how do we reconcile what we know about God and what we know about what's going on in the world and how evil it is? Well, that's exactly what Habakkuk was asking. If you have your Bible, you can look at Habakkuk chapter 1. Verse 2, it says, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? And then he says, look at this, I cry to you, violence! People are hurting each other and you don't save. And then look at verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to live on wickedness? 
Habakkuk has these kinds of questions that come into our minds too. How can we look out at the world and we see evil everywhere, and how can we reconcile that with who God is? Well, in chapter 1, we're going to get the first answer to that question, okay? And here it is. This is your theme for this lesson. All right, write this at the top of your paper. This is the theme. The first answer to how is God going to deal with evil, how can we trust him, is God is perfectly wise. God is perfectly wise, okay? That's the, that's the theme for you simple people. And the ones that want the longer answer, here's the answer. God is perfectly wise, and he's working out his own purposes in the world, okay? God is perfectly wise, and he's working out his own purposes in the world. So if you want a title for this lesson, up at the very top, you can say God of Wisdom. The first answer to how is God going to deal with evil is God is perfectly wise. All right? Now you guys write that down and then grab your Bible. We're going to read out of Habakkuk for a minute. Okay? Habakkuk chapter 1. You got your Bible open? Habakkuk chapter 1. I'm going to read the first four verses. You follow along, right? You can use your finger if you got to so you know what words I'm reading. Habakkuk 1.1. 1, 1. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. This is what he said. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, and yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. Why, O oh Lord, how long? All right, we're going to see three little scenes, three sections to our lesson. You ready for big point number one? Big point number one is Habakkuk has, ready, here it is, big point number one, an unsolved problem, okay? Habakkuk thinks he has an unsolved problem, and that's in the first couple verses. Now look what it says. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. So the question is, who's Habakkuk? And the answer is, I don't know. And you don't know either. We don't know anything about him except what it says right here. And it says Habakkuk is what? What does it say his job is? He's a prophet. He's a prophet. What does a prophet do? Prophesy. What does prophesy mean? Tell the future. Tell the future? Sometimes. Okay. To tell the people what the Lord says. Yes. So when someone says, what's a prophet? You say someone who speaks for God. Who, what's a prophet? What do they do? Someone who speaks for God. Habakkuk, apparently, the only thing we know about him is he's a prophet, which means what? Whatever he's going to tell us, who did it come from? It came from God. So we need to trust it. Now, what is he talking about? Well, this is normally when a prophet speaks, they say something to the other people about what God says. Well, actually, Habakkuk writes down kind of a conversation he has with God. Questions he has and how God answers it. And look at what he says. He says, how long, O Lord, will I cry for help? And you will not hear. He has questions. How long, O oh Lord, is this going to be like this? How long is this very good or very horrible, no good, very bad day going to last? Okay? Sometimes when the people write in the scripture and they ask that question, sometimes God answers. Jonah 2.2, 2, Jonah says, I called out, to my, out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help, and you heard my voice. Sometimes they don't get an answer. Psalm 13.1, How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? The psalmist was wondering where God was. Habakkuk, he feels like he's calling out to God and he's not getting an answer. He feels like God has turned his phone off. He's not listening to what Habakkuk has said. 
Habakkuk's crying out, crying out, crying out, and where is God? No help seems to be coming. But there's a very important lesson in this. Who is Habakkuk crying out to? How long, oh Lord? Who's he praying to? He's praying to God. So the question for you and the question for me is, when you have one of those really bad days, or when you're really confused about something, where are you going for the answers? You could go to your mom or dad or Brandon or Leho or whatever. But where are you going for the answers ultimately? Who do you want to know what they have to say? You need to care more about what God says about things than what anybody else says. You understand? See, Habakkuk is right. He doesn't know what's going on. He's very confused, but at least he knows who to go to ask, right? He goes to God. So for us, when we need answers, when we need help, we need to go straight to the one who can actually help us. Okay? Now let's go on. He says, how long, O Lord, will you, will I call for help and you will not hear? God's not answering. Violence is happening. That's a, that's a word that's going to come up a lot. Uh, violence is just, just conflict. People hurting each other all over the place. It's, it's just chaos. Verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Why do you make me look on, it kind of has to do with evil, just in general. Cause me to look on trouble. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention, fights, uh, disputes, arguments between people arise. This place is falling apart. He, he's in the nation of Judah. You guys remember uh, King David, he reigned over the whole nation of Israel, right? And then he had a son who was David's son. Really rich, really wise guy. Solomon. Solomon. Okay, he reigned over the whole nation of Israel. And then Solomon had a son, and that son, um, we'll say he's foolish. That's a biblical word for what he was, okay? He was very foolish. And what did he do? He ended up splitting the kingdom, okay? And you have the northern Israel, southern Judah. Does anybody remember the kingdom, the bad guys that came in and took over the northern kingdom and took them away? Anybody remember that one? Assyria. Assyria. Nailed it. Extra cookie for that guy. Okay? Assyria came and they wipe out Israel. And then, a hundred years later, what happens to Judah? Uh, Babylonians, the Babylonians come to take the southern kingdom, right? So Assyria takes the northern kingdom, and then a hundred years later, hundred and something, the southern kingdom gets taken by Babylon. Well, Habakkuk is right before the Babylonians come to take the southern kingdom. He's in the southern kingdom. And he's saying, this looks like a bad idea. Everyone is sinning. For a while, people were pretending like they were being uh, God's people. They were doing all the right things. And now, it's just a mess. There's violence and strife and all these things. There's wickedness and evil everywhere. Okay? And then, look what he says in verse 4. He says, the, uh, the law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. The wicked surround the righteous. And justice comes out perverted. Okay, that's a bad place to be as a kingdom, as a society, right? The law is ignored. Okay, what would happen if you guys just went out there and no one obeyed any laws, any at all? No driving laws, people stole whatever they wanted, they killed whoever they wanted, they did whatever they wanted all the time. That would be chaos. Can we all agree? Not a good idea. Anarchy, okay? That's what Habakkuk says is going on. The law is ignored. Literally, the word ignored, that's uh, when someone's like paralyzed. They can't move. He's like, the law... It's been knocked out. The law doesn't even do anything. And, th and then he says, justice, because of this, the wicked surround the righteous. All the bad people intimidate the good people. And justice comes out perverted. Perverted means like twisted or crooked. Okay. So in Psalm 125, it says, those who turn aside to their crooked ways, their wicked ways. Okay. 
So when justice comes out perverted, when it comes out twisted, it comes out upside down, what does that look like? Well, it means good things are punished, bad things are praised, right? Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Okay? When you get to a place in your society, in your country, in your kingdom, where all the bad people are praised for being bad, and all the good people are punished for being good, that is ripe for judgment. Okay? The Bible Knowledge Commentary, it says, The law was, had suffered a knockout, and Habakkuk said, Justice never prevailed or came forth to fight. It seems like wickedness is the uncontested victor. So what's reigning right now? It's not justice and goodness. It's this wickedness, this evil, this violence. Okay? When there's no justice in the land, where are you going to go to with a complaint? Where are you going to go? Who can you ask to help sort out your problems? Well, when you're living in a society that has no justice, you don't have anyone to go to, do you? You have to go to the Lord, which is what Habakkuk does. He comes to God and says, what is going on? But again, notice who he's talking to. He's asking God his questions. The very fact that Habakkuk took his complaints to God, this uh, Dr. Bailey says, can help believers to be honest in prayer. We should take all of our burdens to the Lord. And Habakkuk shows us that God is willing to hear our needs and help us deal with our problems, even when he doesn't answer in the way that we expect. So, for you and for me, think about, maybe talk about your small groups later, or just pray this tonight. Am I really praying so that God will help me think correctly? I want God to help me think the way that he thinks. I want to think the way the Bible thinks. And even Habakkuk, he comes and he says, I'm confused, God. This doesn't make sense to what I'm seeing. But he comes to God and he wants God to fix his thinking. Okay? So, the first big point, big point number one, Habakkuk, he had what? An unsolved problem. There is violence and evil and wickedness everywhere, and apparently God doesn't care. God's not listening. He's not hearing me. God's not responding. Well, does God actually care? Yeah, God actually does care. And so God is actually going to answer Habakkuk, amazingly. And big point number two, God has an unbelievable solution. Okay? So Habakkuk thought he had an unsolved problem. God, big point number two, has an unbelievable solution. An unbelievable solution. Okay? Verse 5, down to verse 11. This is God's solution to this problem. The problem of evil in the world, in, in Judah. God speaks to Habakkuk. Verse 5. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. Verse 6, Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They're dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and they heap up rubble to capture. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty, those whose strength is their God. Habakkuk has an unsolved problem. There's evil everywhere. God has an unbelievable solution. 
Look at verse 5 again. This is kind of our key verse for this chapter, okay? Look at verse 5. This is what God says. Look among the nations, observe. Be astonished and wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. What did I say our, our answer, our first answer, our big theme was for this lesson? God is perfectly wise, okay? God knows better than you do. God knows better than I do. And God knows better than Habakkuk. God says, I'm doing something in your days you would not even believe if you were told. You want to see something funny? Look in there, verse 5, where it says, be astonished and wonder. See those words there? What's funny is in the original, in Hebrew, it's actually the same word, just twice. It's, it's basically like, be amazed, be amazed. Okay? And really what he's trying to say is, he's just trying to emphasize it. Okay? Anybody ever watch the Andy Griffith show? You ever seen that? Okay. And, and Andy tells Barney, I don't want anybody to hear about this. And then Barney runs into the barbershop. He's like, there's something big. It's, it's big, big, right? So we do the same thing. We use two words together to say, oh, no, no, it's, it's not big. It's big, big, right? That's what God says here. He says, be amazed, amazed at what I'm doing, all right? Be astonished. But here's the deal, guys. God is doing something in your days you wouldn't believe if you were told. God gets to make the plans because God is perfectly wise. You know why we don't follow your ideas for everything? It's because you don't have very good ideas. You know why we follow God's plans for everything? Because God is perfectly wise. Listen to some of these verses. Write these down when I say them, okay? Ephesians 1.11. God predestined according to his purpose. He is the one who works all things after the counsel of his will. Here's number two. Job 12.13. With God are wisdom and might, and to him belong counsel and understanding. Psalm 33, 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, and the plans of his heart from generation to generation. Not only is God perfectly wise, but his wisdom never runs out. It's forever and ever, generation after generation. Okay? Psalm 145, 3. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and this is fun, his greatness is unsearchable. What does that mean? You can't even figure out God's wisdom. God is so much bigger and wiser than us that his greatness is unsearchable. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay? When you think of heaven and earth, is heaven just like a little bit higher that are just, you know, it's just right there. It's just right there where I can touch it. No, no, no. That's like, you know, if Brandon stood on a chair, okay, then he's higher than me. Heaven to earth, different things, right? God's thinking and your thinking, different things, okay? It's not like you're almost as smart as God. You are you, and God is God. God's perfectly wise. And then, this is one of my favorites in the whole Bible, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. God says, remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Why is there no one like him? How, does, how do we know that God's different? God says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done. You know how we know that God is God? Because God made everything and he determined everything. He sets the end from the beginning. God says, my purpose will be established, 
and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. You know what the answer is to why is there so much evil in this world? Is God going to deal with it? Does God even care? The answer is God's got to figure it figured out. Okay? You're like, well, that didn't answer the question, but it did. The fact that we're asking a question that we don't understand, God says, you need to know that I know what I'm doing. You need to know that I am perfectly wise and I'm in control of all these things. You don't need to worry that this is out of my control. God is perfectly wise. And it says right here in Isaiah 46, my purpose will be established. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. You know what, guys? God's plans, they happen. You know how many of your plans are going to come out to be nothing? You're going to be like, hey, I want to be an NFL football player. No, you're not. Okay? You just won't. Your plans, you think you have plans, and your plans go away when you realize that was a really bad plan. Okay? God's plans, they don't do that. God's plans are always right. They're always perfect. God's plans happen. Uh, Dr. Bailey, in his commentary, he said, The Lord's answer to Habakkuk's question indicates his sovereignty. God is not bound by the listener's whims or by Habakkuk's standard of fairness. He responds according to his own sovereign will. God is the Lord of history who works in history to accomplish his own purpose. So here's the deal, guys. When we look out in the world and we say, man, this place is evil. It's wicked. It's falling apart. This is not how it's supposed to be. I don't understand. That's okay. Okay? Uh, I heard a pastor one time talk about questions with a closed fist and questions with an open fist. Okay? When you come to God with a closed fist and you say, God, why is this happening to me? That's a bad idea. God doesn't like people that are angry at him. Okay? But when you come to God with an open hand, say, God, why is this happening to me? A child, a humble child of God that just wants to understand, God loves that. God loves to teach us and to train us and to show us in his word what's going on and how we can trust him. And sometimes he shows us how what's going on. And sometimes he doesn't. But we still learn to trust God anyway. We need to be able to come and ask God questions. But here's the key. If you still don't understand, you still have to remember that God's the boss. You don't get to come with a question and say, well, God didn't answer it how I like, so I'm not going to obey God anymore. Don't do that. You come to God and say, I want to know the answer. And if you get it, great. And if you don't, you still learn to trust God. Pastor Rocky, Drew will back me up. Pastor Rocky used to tell us, it's real easy. If you disagree with God, God is always right. And you are always wrong. It's very simple. Don't disagree with God. It makes it easier. Okay? So, God is perfectly wise. And look at what he says. I'm doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. See, Habakkuk thought God wasn't dealing with it. Habakkuk thought it was an unsolved problem. He said, what? I'm calling it out and you're not even saving us. And God says, you think I'm not doing anything. I'm doing something that you can't even understand. Even if I explain it to you, you still won't understand. But here he's going to explain. Now here's the crazy, unbelievable solution. All right, God is raising up the Chaldeans. Now look at that. Verse 6, Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, that's another name for them, fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. I love it. God says, who's raising up the Chaldeans? Verse 6. Who says that? Taylor? God is. Okay? And the funny thing, that verb, it's very clear. God says, I'm doing this. 
You want to know what's amazing? Uh, how long has America been around? When did we start? 200 plus years. 250 Coming up on 250. All right, 250 years. Been around for a little bit. You know how like some other countries have been around for like ever. Okay, Babylon at this t at this point they have been around for like 15 years, 20 years. And by the way, by the time that they get taken over by the Median Empire, you know how long they were around? A total of like 80, 90 years. They came up and they went down. Why? Because God did. They weren't building up on their own strength. God says, I'm raising this people up for a reason. I'm going to use them to judge, and then I'm going to judge them with somebody else. Spoiler alert for tomorrow. God is raising them up, and it says they're fierce and impetuous. All right, somebody tell me what impetuous means. Hit me. Always ready for fight. Always ready to attack. Uh, no. All right, close enough, but no. Somebody else. What's impetuous mean? Taylor? I don't Mean and rude. Um, no. That's what the first thing means. Fierce and bitter. Always pushing. Always um, moving forward. Alright. Asher? What's that? Dreaded. No. This is going poorly. We're doing great. What you got? Really strong. Really strong? Nope. Nothing. Stubborn. Stubborn. Nope. All right, one more. Kaylee, what you got? It's like things around. The nomadic. Mo mobile. No, wrong. No, like they, they go like they're easily. Oh, okay. Easily influenced. Drew wants to answer. Drew, what's impetuous? Impetuous is, is getting an idea, an impulse, and just going for it. Yeah, there you go. Very, very impulsive and hasty, right? <laughs> That's it. Alright, so these guys, look at what it says. These Chaldeans, these Babylonians, God raised them up. They're fierce, bitter people, and they're impulsive and hasty. Does that sound like the kinds of people that you want to be around and hang out with? No. These are not nice people. Look, they are, what do they do? They march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places not theirs. And then, it says they're dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. These guys, like... I mean, excuse my language, these guys are jerks, right? Like, these guys are not the people that you want to be in charge of your nation. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice, and listen, their authority, it's not even authority like they get to be in charge. It's authority like they want to puff themselves up, right? Their, their exaltation. They, they decide what justice is, and they decide how important they are, okay? <laughs> Dr. Bailey says, Judah has rejected God's order and law, back in verse 4, and so they're going to get Babylonia's order and law, their justice and authority. Judah opted for violence, back in verse 2, and now they're going to get Babylon's violence as their punishment. The punishment fits the crime. Okay? So now let's keep going. Their horses are swifter than leopards, keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar, and they fly like an eagle swooping down to devour these guys are mean and nasty, and they've got horses that are just as mean and nasty. They're fast. They come in before you even know that they're coming. It says they fly like an eagle. An eagle, you've, you've seen videos, right, of an eagle or a hawk coming down and grabbing a fish out of the water or grabbing a little rabbit or something. Before the prey even knows that it's there, they come and attack. And then it says, verse 9, 
Well, maybe they're just coming, you know, for a weekend. Maybe they're just, you know, they're just here for fun. They're just here for a party. It's fine. They'll be here and then they'll leave. And so we get, you know, why are they coming? Verse 9. All of them come for, what does it say? Verse 9. All of them come for violence. You know why they're coming? It's not fun. They're coming to hurt other people. They're coming to destroy and conquer. It says their horde of faces moves forward. That's a really hard phrase to translate. So you might have something different in your Bible right there. It actually means that they're, they come from the east is actually what it says. Okay, Sort of. And so some people think uh, they're like an east wind. It blows off the desert and it comes in hot and it's really fast. And that's what it says next. right? They collect captives like sand. Okay, you know how many pieces of sand are in like that one little handful of sand, like a billion. Okay, and when they come through, they capture up people like that. It's like scooping up sand for them, but they don't come for fun. They come for violence. Verse ten, it says these people, these Babylonians, the Chaldeans, they come in, they mock at kings and rulers. Rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and they heap up rubble to capture it. Okay. The, the idea there is, is they come in and, you know, the kings that they're coming to conquer, they would just, hey, it's no big deal. We're going to hide in our palace. We'll hide in our castle, build up our little walls around there, and no one can get into us. And these Chaldeans, they say, yeah, we can do that. But what do they do? It says they build up rubble. They heap up rubble. So you got a big wall here you're trying to get through, and the door, and it's, it's locked because they don't want you in. Well, Babylon comes in. They gather up a bunch of dirt and rocks, and they build it up to where they got a nice ramp up that wall. And then guess what's keeping them out? Nothing. Okay? Sometimes they wouldn't even build the wall up all the way. They would build the wall up halfway, and then they would go underground here, and they would dig out the bottom of the wall so the wall would crumble, and then they would go over the ramp. Okay? Called sapping. You just learned something. How fun is that? Okay? Yay! So the question is, well, okay, this all sounds good, but what actually happened? Hmm, well, this. This is what happened. 2 Kings 24 talks about it. Here, Jeremiah 32, 24. Behold, the siege ramps have reached the city to take it, and the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it. Like, wait, wait a second. So God said he was going to raise up the Chaldeans, and they were going to come in with really fast horses, and they were going to build up uh, walls up to the walls, and they were going to conquer these cities. And it actually happened? Yeah, of course it actually happened. What are we talking about? God's perfectly wise, and what God says always comes true. God said he was gracing up the Chaldeans, and there they came. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 11. Does it go on? It says, then they'll sweep through like the wind and pass on. They don't stay long. Why? Because they're impulsive. They want more. They're not happy with just conquering one little kingdom. They conquer one kingdom, and they want more. They want more, and they want more. And they keep on going, leaving destruction in their path. But look at what it says. They will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. They will be held guilty. That, boys and girls, is called foreshadowing. Talk about that tomorrow. But look at what it says. It says, they have, they whose strength is their God. Whose strength is their God. What does that mean? The only thing they believe in is their strength to take over anything. Yeah. Do they care about making anybody else happy? Do they trust in anything else? Nope. They trust in who? Themselves. How strong they are. They're, they're mighty warriors. They're horses and these siege engines and all this stuff. They care about what God thinks? No. 
They just care about what they think. They worship their own strength. You know, a few years later, there's going to be a king over these people. His name is going to be Nebuchadnezzar. And he's going to walk out onto his roof and he's going to look at the city and he's going to say something like this. Isn't this Babylon the great that I have built as a residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? That's what all of these people thought. They just worshiped themselves and their own strength and might. All right. So here's a question. I need, need you guys to think a little bit. So Habakkuk has questions. Comes to God and he says, God, why is there evil in the world? Why aren't you dealing with this? I keep calling for help and you're not coming. God responds. And what's God's big answer? You need to trust me. I'm doing things that you can't even understand. You need to trust my wisdom. Okay? But think about this for a second. Everybody look at me. Unless you're asleep. And then somebody wake you up. This whole little description here, verses 6 down to 11, talk about these, these nasty people, these Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Somebody tell me something we just learned about these people. They use tactics that the Assyrians... Uh, okay, do. so they're working on siege tactics. They are impetuous. Impetuous, which means impulsive, okay? Uh, they didn't really know that one. Okay, they weren't there around very often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're fierce. Fierce, Taylor, last one. They're horrible people who enjoy genocide. Yeah, they, they're just ruthless, nasty people. Okay, so here's the question for you guys. Why is that in this chapter? Why, why did Habakkuk write down all this terrible stuff about the Chaldeans? Why did God want us to know who these people were and what they were like? Not Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, because... It's so that he shows them how great God is. Okay. He can be even in those people. Okay. So he, he's more powerful even than these evil people. Okay. So that's one answer. He's going to punish them with someone that's like as bad as they are. Okay. So to make sure that we know that they're, they're not, um, that uh, he, he knows that they're evil, right? Fox? Uh, that he can use anyone for his purposes. No yeah. Okay, he's perfectly wise. He's in control of all that. And McCullough? Uh, I guess to give, kind of give an example of God's wrath. Yeah. So, all right, so I'm going to go off of that one. Does God care about sin? Okay. Does God care about sin in his own people? Yeah. God is willing to use these evil Babylonians to come in and destroy his covenant people. Why? Because they were rebellious and disobedient, foolish people. They were sinning. There was evil and violence and strife and contention all over the place. And so God hates sin so much, he's going to bring in a foreign people that is so much worse than them to come in and punish sin. Is sin a problem? Yeah. We need to realize that sin is not just a Babylonian problem. Okay, Sin is in this room. Sin is a you and me problem, okay? And if we sit here and we go about our lives and we say, oh, there's so much evil out there and everybody else is mean. I go to school and nobody likes me. and it's No, no, you're just pretending like all the problems are outside. The problem's in you. The sin is in us. And God hates sin so much that he's willing to punish his own people, maybe even his own son to deal with sin. Yeah. 
Habakkuk has an unsolved problem. That's big point number one. Number two, God gives an unbelievable solution. Number three, big point number three, Habakkuk has an unconvinced response. An unconvinced response. We've got to finish up here in a minute. An unconvinced response. So, Habakkuk says, God, why aren't you dealing with evil? And God says, I am dealing with evil. I'm bringing in, in, in a more evil people to deal with your evil. And Habakkuk says, y- y'all seen that meme where it's like, okay, that one's like, wait, uh, wait, wait, wait a second. I think you misunderstood me. I wanted you to deal with evil. I didn't want you to bring more evil in to deal with the, um, God. Uh, more questions. All right. Habakkuk thought he was going to get an answer. And Habakkuk now has more questions. At first, he was like, God's not dealing with stuff. And now he's like, God's dealing with stuff in a way I don't like. You ever had that thought? Has, has anybody ever told you, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it, right? You've heard that before? Okay, sometimes we say, be careful what you pray for, because you just might get it, okay? Here's the deal. When we pray and ask God for something, God answers the prayer. He might not answer it exactly how you want. Why? Because he's smarter than you. That's why. So he's going to answer it the right way, not your way. And then we say, wait, 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 God, that's not how I wanted you to answer it. That's kind of where Habakkuk is. Habakkuk says, okay. And so he's going to tell God, and this is the perfect response. Okay, watch this. This is how we need to respond when we don't understand. We tell God exactly what we know to be true. And then we ask the part that we don't understand. Okay, look at verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. You, O Rock, have established them to correct. This is all true stuff. Habakkuk knows what's right. So he tells God, this is what I know. Verse 13, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. Is that right? Yeah. And then he says, you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Is that right? Yes. So then he gets to the part where he doesn't understand. So why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring them all up with a hook and drag them away with their net. Look at verse 17. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? Habakkuk says, okay, I know one thing. I know that God is perfectly righteous and he can't approve evil. So how are you doing this, God? How can you use someone? Look at verse 13. Nope. Yeah, 13. Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? How can you use a more evil people to come in and destroy us? That's the question. But look at some of the stuff he says about what he knows, what God is. Everlasting. God is from everlasting to everlasting. Psalm 90 verse 2. You are God. He tells God, we will not die. He knows that God has promised to leave a remnant of his people. He will protect them. And it says, he says, I know that you've appointed them to judge. In Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5, about um, Assyria, the Assyrians who came and took over the northern kingdom, God calls them, they are the rod of my anger. <laughs> God says, they're not doing what they want to do. They're doing what I have them doing. They're my weapon I'm using. So the question is, if God's going to use these evil people to destroy Judah, does that make God responsible for sin and wickedness? 
I hope all of you are saying, this guy's about to be a heretic. No! God cannot be involved in evil. God cannot be responsible for wickedness. So the question is, God is orchestrating the actions of these people. Why? So that he can punish evil. Now here we go. God is too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Look at verse 14. He starts talking about fish. Somebody tell me why we're talking about fish here in verse 14. And by now? Taylor? Um, because fish live in little schools. And then the bigger fish come around and just like rip them apart and eat them. And them that might be totally true. Not what I'm looking for. Verse... Uh, what is it? Let's see. 14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea. So why are we talking about fish? Why, why are we pretending the people are like fish? Because it's an accurate representation. Okay, Fox? Um, because it's the fish's instinct. Like, the fisherman has control, kind of has control of the situation. He'll put... Nope, nope. Alright, somebody look at verse 15 and tell me why we're talking about fish. Okay. Okay, that's one. The Chaldeans are really good at fishing. Okay? That's the key. Why? Chaldeans like to fish. Nope. Good try. Verse 15. The Chaldeans bring them up with a hook. Why are we talking about men like fish? Because the Chaldeans are really good at capturing fish. And you know what? The Chaldeans are really good at capturing these people too. Drag them away with their net. They gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Why are they glad? Because they just got a really big catch of fish. Verse 16. Therefore, they offer a sacrifice to their net. They burn incense to their fishing net because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Wait, wait. What are they doing? It just says they're offering a sacrifice to what? Nope. Read again. The net. The net. Wait, wait, why are they worshiping their nets? And by the way, there's two different kinds of nets. They offer a sacrifice to their net. That's the little one that one guy would use. He would toss it out and pull it in. And then it says they're burning incense to their fishing net. That's the big one that a boat would use to drag through the water. Okay? Why are they worshiping these nets? Yeah? Because the nets are themselves. The nets are themselves. That's a very deep metaphorical thing to say. Okay? Because they brought them their offspring, like the Okay, their, their, their catch, right? The net is what brings them in, what they have. And so they think, wow, my own skill and my tools here, my nets, this is what's giving me all of this stuff. The reality is, who brings good things to us? Who gives us good things in this life? Is it you and how awesome you are at stuff? No. How about God and his grace and provision for you? But look at verse 17. We're going to finish up. Will they therefore empty their net and slay nations without sparing? Habakkuk comes back. How long, O oh God? How long until this is over? What's going on? If God doesn't stop them, they're just going to keep slaying people. And it says, without sparing, without mercy. These people are going to keep conquering and keep killing unless you do something about it. So the question is for you, all you who are listening to me. Does wickedness bother you? Are you the one who looks at evil people and say, that's not what God wants? Or, 
Are you kind of like these people and you worship your own strength, your own skill and say, man, it's a good thing I have all this good stuff because I'm taking care of myself. You see, Habakkuk came to God and he had an unsolved problem. He said, God, there's too much evil. What are you going to do about it? Do you even care? And God says, you don't understand. I'm doing something in the world that you wouldn't even believe if I told you. I'm raising up the Chaldeans to come and punish your wickedness. And Habakkuk says, I have more questions. I'm a little unconvinced, but I still want to know. So he's learning that he doesn't have to understand everything. He just has to trust God, who does understand everything, who is perfectly wise. All right, we're going to do one more thing, and then we're going to be done. Everybody turn to Acts chapter 13. Okay? Acts chapter 13. I want to show you a little, uh, we'll call this an adventure. How about that? Okay? Acts chapter 13. And when you're there, raise your left hand. Because I'm left-handed, so that's awesome. It's awesome. All right. Acts chapter 13, verse 38. Here. (coughs) Excuse me. Paul is preaching a sermon. I want you to notice something he says in his sermon. Okay? Look at verse 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, that's Jesus he's talking about, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Listen to this. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will not believe, though someone should describe it to you. That sounds an awful lot like what we read in Habakkuk. But he's saying something a little bit different here. You see, in Habakkuk, what was the work God was doing that Habakkuk wouldn't even believe? What was he doing? Raising up the Babylonians. He says, I'm doing a work that you won't believe. I'm raising up this foreign people to come in to punish you. Do you think he's talking about that in Acts? Do you think Paul is talking about the Babylonians getting raised up again to come destroy Judah? No. What is he talking about here? What's the work that God is doing? Go back to verse 38. Through Jesus, what? What does it say? God is doing a work that is so unbelievable. And you know what it is? It's the fact that you, who are a sinner, can be saved. You can have forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ. That is an unbelievable solution, don't you think? You see, back in Habakkuk, Habakkuk has a very tangible problem. Something's going on in his life. There's too much evil around, and God says, I got it. Thank you for being concerned, but you have to trust me. You and I have a much bigger problem than evil out in the world. The problem is, you're a sinner. And if you're not reconciled to God, you're going to spend eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. Eternal punishment because of your sin. You have a bigger problem than Babylonians. And God says, I'm doing a work that you wouldn't believe. What is it? He sacrificed his own son so that you could have forgiveness of your sins. If you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. You see, God's doing an amazing work. He was doing an amazing work in Habakkuk's life. And now he's doing an amazing work in our time. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Something that we couldn't even believe even if God explained it to us.
an amazing thing. So, the first question to God versus evil, what's God doing about the problem of evil? The first question, or the first answer, God's perfectly wise. We don't need to tell God how to do anything. God is perfectly wise, and he's working out his purposes in the world. Okay, so wait a second. We didn't actually answer the question. <laughs> what's God doing about the evil in the world? Well, he's raising up the Babylonians. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. Okay, what's he doing about the Babylonians? We've got a bigger problem now. Not only do we have evil now, now we have more evil coming in to take care of this evil. What's God going to do about the Babylonians? you got to come back tomorrow, right? Let's pray. God, thank you that we can trust in you. We can trust in your word. Thank you that you are perfectly wise, that you're working out your sovereign purposes and you will accomplish all of your good pleasure. And God, most of all, we thank you that you can do works that we don't even understand and believe, and especially the work of taking your own son to the cross, that he would die for the sins of his people, be buried and resurrected to accomplish our salvation. That is an unbelievable solution, God. We're so thankful for you. Proud of this in your name. Amen.